orthodox. Because usually, and, and you know you to expect that from me, I'm sure. Um, I, th this message had many iterations. Um, I was going to speak about some things that were near and dear to my heart as a mother living in this time, as a mother most importantly rooted and grounded in Christ. Um, just a, a lot of the things that we've been seeing in the media were kind of um, disturbing to me, you know, the whole Michael Brown thing and all of those situations, because I'm raising a male child in a time that is still, we, there is still a hostile environment for black male children. And I, I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to study it out, um, first of all, just to help me as I process some of these things. Like, how do I raise him to be a godly man and to live his life and not be fearful, but yet understand the things that are going on in this world? So needless to say, it's going to take me a lot more studying to do that. So that didn't take, that's not what we're talking about today. That was the first iteration. <laughs> and then I started thinking about um, just community and how important it is for mothers to have a sense of community and connectedness, a network, so that they can thrive and be the mothers God called them to be. Because I don't know about you, but um, I don't do it alone. And I think that the mothers around here can attest to that. And even the children of mothers, you've seen that your parents um, had help in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not enough help, maybe not the help they needed all the time. But I know, I can say, I don't do it alone. So I wanted to talk about that. Um, and then I just kind of had a change of heart. And I wanted to speak about something else. Um, so this message, as you can see, is called Help a Mother Out. Um, today is Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a great day for many people. For some people, it's not so great because they're not mothers and they really want to be. And I started thinking, how, how can I address you know, our church family, what can I talk about that would help everybody today? Because it's still a Sunday, and we meet together one day a week to be strengthened. And what can, what can I talk about that would, everybody would get something out of? So we're not all mothers, but we are all sons and daughters. Amen? Amen. So I wanted to talk about help a mother out. Y'all say it with me. Help a mother out. Help a mother out. All right. <laughs> So we're going to try. Um, um, so we've been talking about the cross for the better part of the last several weeks here at KLM. And I could think of no better place to begin this sermon than at the cross. So if you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of John, chapter 19. That's the book of John, chapter 19. And we're going to start in the middle of verse 16. So find verse 16. Is everybody there yet? Need some more time? Okay, just get a little bit. All right, are we ready? Okay, so in the middle of verse 16, so they took Jesus, verse 17, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. They covered everybody. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. You got to love Pilate. God was using him. Anyway, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but look at all this stuff that was going on in the midst of this. But, verse 25, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
So we know Mary, Mary. We got Mary, Mary, Mary right here. Anyway, <laughs> verse 26. When, court, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus knowing now that all was finished, and it goes on. So in the midst of everything going on around the, the climax of the crucifixion, we see Jesus press pause and say, wait a minute, there's my mama. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I know that I'm not necessarily at the climax of my life, life's calling yet. I know I have miles to go um, before I get there, but I can, only be I can only imagine being in a place where I'm so busy fulfilling the call that God has called me to, my life's work, my very purpose, and in the middle of that, you know what, stop the presses. Here's my mother, and I have to make provision for her. There is an example in this that we need to see, I believe. Um, somebody say, help a mother out. In the middle of this, we see the woman who gave birth to the Messiah, quote, standing by the cross of Jesus, end quote. What a picture comes to mind. She was there, the one who had been with him from the beginning, having known suffering of her own since his um, conception, having walked with him throughout his life, um, with scripture recording her involvement in key milestones in his life and ministry. She was there even until the end. A lot of us hear how parents talk about burying their children, how that's not the way it should be, that the children should be burying the parents. So in the natural order of things, again, this doesn't seem right. Um, and yet God is God and he does what and how he sees fit. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that that mother was able to bury her son on that day. Because if it were not for that, we wouldn't be here. Um, doing so not only fulfilled his purpose for being here, but also validated every sacrifice she had to make and made good every promise that had been made to her regarding his life and death. So let's go to the beginning. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. And when I say the beginning, I mean uh, um, of her journey as his mother. Everybody there? Okay. So let's go to chapter 1 of, of the book of Luke, and let's start at the 26th verse. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, let's pause there. Does this look like your son dying on the cross? He's going to be great, and he's going to reign kingdom without end. Let's go on. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And it goes on. Um, let's, let's go down to verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. Um, and then it goes on and she's singing a song of praise because of what the angel has told her. She received with faith this thing that God was going to do, this unimaginable thing that a woman who had not known a man would give birth to a son and that it would be no, not just any son, but Jesus, the Messiah. So um, we're going to move on 
Okay, so we, that was the beginning of things. And then in chapter 2 um, with Luke, I like Luke because he kind of accelerates things. We see a lot of things happening in chapter 2. We see Jesus being born. And um, I want to point out verse 19 in chapter 2. Um, there was a lot going on. Well, actually, let's, let's back up. Let's back up to verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And then it goes on. Let's get down there. Um, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. What we have to remember, I know it seems a lot like a Christmas message, but just hang with me. Um, <laughs> um, what we have to remember is that we know the story by now from beginning. Well, we don't know the end because we're still yet in the story ourselves. But we know what happens with Jesus, right? We know that he was born of a manger, um, born of a virgin in a manger, and we know that he's going to go to that cross. Mary doesn't know these things. This, the history has not been written. So she's hiding these things in her heart all along. This is her child. This is her beloved son. Not only her beloved son, but the only begotten son of God. So as these things are playing out, she's like, wow, she's beholding. She has a baby in a manger of all places. And angels are coming and singing and shepherds are coming. And then eventually the wise men and they're bringing gifts. That's, that's a lot to take in for a teenage girl who's had a baby by God. <laughs> you know, it's a lot going on, right? Okay, um, let's go down to um, one of my favorite passages when Jesus um, kind of ditched his parents and stayed at the temple. Um, verse 49, he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Can you imagine raising the walking Bible? <laughs> who knows, you know, who is, and he's still in, you know, in his formative years, of course, but he knows what he's talking about. They have no clue. Um, verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother, mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So um, as most mothers, Mary had the highest hopes for her firstborn. And she knew he was the Messiah because the Hebrew translation for the word that we use as Messiah literally means anointed king. So she saw all this stuff going on um, and, and she was there for all of it. She was down for it. She accepted a weighty responsibility when that angel came to her and she said, be it unto me. And I'm, I'm the humble servant of the Lord and I'm going to do this. Um, and even though it was a blessed station to have, it was still a lot of work for Mary. It was still a lot that she had to endure. Um, she didn't know, she could not know exactly what was going to happen, what was going to transpire, but she had a promise. So looking at all of this, let's go back to the cross. Can you imagine, even through her faith, her great faith in God, and in, even in the words of her son during his ministry, despite knowing that, can you still imagine the pain and the grief that she must have been experiencing to see her child hanging on that cross, knowing that it was necessary, but trying to make it fit into this, he's going to reign with kingdom without end. It's still, it's still her seeing what was going on. Um, and we do have evidence that Mary may have thought Jesus's life should have been something a little different based on what the angel told her. Let's go to Mark 3, just so you know I'm not making this up. Let's, let's think about these things. You know, it's not just, um, it's not just us taking these things at face value and not thinking about these people who some people call characters, but these are real living people and this happened. And we've got to think sometimes through their minds to kind of get another dimension of what's going on, to get further understanding. So Mark 3, are you there? Let's start with verse 13. And he, being Jesus, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. These are the apostles, right? And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12 and it names them there. I'm going to go ahead and name them because I, I like this part. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boagnerges, that is, sons of thunder. I love that. 
Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home, this is verse 20, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Verse 21, check this out. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. That, that happened for real. This is Jesus' mom and his brothers and sisters saying, Jesus is out of his mind. What is he doing? He has picked up 12 people, given them new names. What kind of gang is this? Okay. Skip down to verse 31. How do we know? How do we know this is going on? Because right here we see them coming on the scene. Verse 31. And his mothers and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent him and called him. So he was, you know, this is the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. And... This wasn't going according to Mary's expectations. What is he doing? So um, anyway, 32, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mothers and my, who are my mother, excuse me, and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Obviously, Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters got with the program after a while because, you know, they were with him, or at least Mary was there at the cross. Um, but things weren't going the way people thought that they should. And, and we see that a lot. You know, Jesus did not... Um, okay, this is... Um, yikes. Okay, I silenced it. Sorry. Um, you know, even with the triumphant entry... You know, Jesus came one way and people were expecting it to be another way. And it wasn't any different for his family. They're like, we got to go get him. He's going crazy. Okay. So, um, so back to the cross. Um, one of those very disciples he named on that day when his family went to seize him, a son of thunder no less, is the one that Jesus is addressing when he says, woman, behold your son there at the cross. He asked his beloved disciple to care for his mother, tenderly making provision for her, as his own suffering was coming to an end. And in the middle of the most significant part of his earthly purpose and his calling, he was deeply involved with the literal weight of the world and sin on his shoulders. He took the time to comfort her and make sure that she would be provided for. So if Jesus, with all that he was facing, was able to look to his mom, you and I have no excuse. Uh-oh. No, I'm not getting on you, but listen to what I'm saying. We need to talk about this. None of us will ever have as much on the line as Jesus did. Did you guys hear me? None of us will ever face what he has faced. And as adults, we must make time for our mothers and look to their needs. We must see and examine Christ's example in this. This is significant. This is happening at the cross, the place where life began for us. Um, we must respond to it in our own lives. How are we as adults making provision for our mothers? What does that even look like? Are we looking to their needs? Are we fulfilling the purpose and plan of God regarding our mothers? Do we recognize the act of worship and treating our mothers with love and dignity? Because what we see here at the cross is Christ's example of teaching us to honor our parents in life and in death. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. And when you get there, you're going to know exactly where we are. You'll recognize it. Just a reminder, because I know you guys know this. Exodus 20. Are you there? Okay, we're, we're going to go on to chapter, I mean, to verse 12, because you guys recognize this as the Ten Commandments, right? Verse 12, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God, the Lord, excuse me, your God is giving you. Okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians, can you get there quickly? And it's the same thing, but I just want, we, we need to see it again. First one is right there at the top. Ephesians 1, is everyone there? Yes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. We're not just talking to, ch to children as in like young children, young, like little kids, even though this commandment is for them too, but this is for a child of any age. You know, 
Um, to obey and to honor are two different things, closely related, but they are different. Of course, the obey piece is more for children who live in the household and are still under the parent's authority and care. But honor is for a lifetime. Let's say that together. Honor is for a lifetime. Honor connotes inward reverence and corresponding outward deeds. Does that sound familiar? What does that sound like to you? Inward reverence and corresponding outward deeds. What does that sound a lot like? Worship. Oh, if I had a prize, my husband would get it. But I got the prize. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what, what does, so it makes you think of worship, right? That's interesting because as children, we are supposed to learn how to approach God through how we deal with our parents. Sobering, right? As a mother, it makes me more mindful of how I'm raising Destin. Am I helping to foster a healthy attitude towards God in the way that I'm giving instruction to him and disciplining him? That's why um, if you look here at verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, and it goes on. Those instructions are given because that is how the children will ultimately view the Heavenly Father. You know, it's, it presents a distorted picture of God when fathers don't treat their, their children right. So, you know, God cares about the family, and he cares about parenting. He cares about mothering, and he cares about the way we treat our mothers who have mothered us. So anyway, I want to prove to you today that honor does not end once you leave your parents' home. So let's go to 1 Timothy 5. I'm going to show you something there, too. 1 Timothy 5. Everybody there? Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. This is pleasing in the sight of God to make some return to your parents. Of course, this context is with widows, but it is true regardless. We are to make some return to our parents. Many of us are spouses and parents ourselves, so we should be able to understand now more than ever some of the things that our parents were facing when they were our age. Raising many yous and many me. <laughs> Dealing with many me. Y'all know how I am right now. I really haven't changed much in 38 years. <laughs> so I, I love my mother. By the way, I give honor to my mom today. She can't hear me, and this is being recorded, um, so it won't be a spoiler. But she's receiving an award today down in South Carolina, and I couldn't be there. Um, she is being installed officially as the mother of the church wow. on Mother's Day. Yes. So I love you, Mommy. You can listen to me preach when you get home. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> Um, so if by chance your mother was trying to parent you outside of Christ, meaning that you were raised by a mother who wasn't a believer, you should understand how blessed you have been that by the grace of God, you are still here in Christ and that by the grace of God, your mother was still able to take care of you without leaning on the everlasting arms. That was even, that's even more difficult. And you may think, oh, well, my mom, you know, my mom didn't raise, my parents didn't raise me in the church. Well, you know what? They raised you and you're still here. You still ended up all right. So um, and they did a pretty good job in spite of their eternal condition. Um, also, I want to say this, because this isn't said very often. Now, we know that with husbands and wives, wives submit to husbands, right? When it come, but when it comes to parenting, Parents are equally, uh, children are to submit equally to each parent. There is no, oh, well, you, and, and we see this a lot. I don't think people are really thinking about roles and responsibilities when they do this. They're just really trying to manipulate. As we say back home, they're trying to work the jelly. Well, daddy said this. Well, mommy said that, you know. But th there will be some people to think, you know, okay, well, you know, the, the, the father is what dad says that goes. But children are to obey parents equally. There is no separation. They're on the same level. The role differentiation has to do with the marital relationship, not the child-to-parent relationship. Mommy and daddy are equal in honor and obedience from children. Um, and, and as adults, that is the same way. Even though you're a man with your own family, you still honor your mother, the one who gave you life so that you can be a husband to me. Right, okay. Um, children are to submit to their parents, not to daddy, then to mommy. 
Anyway, we see at the end of Luke 2 that Jesus, after he took his little, you know, um, side journey to the temple and stayed there and they didn't know where he was, he came to them and he submitted to his parents, to both of them. He was submissive to both of them. Um, so in that, we, we also see that the commandment to honor makes no differentiation. You honor and you obey them equally. So now that we are adults, how can we specifically help a mother out? I have four points. My first point is help a mother out spiritually. So what do you mean by that, Courtney? First and foremost, let's make sure our mothers are born again. Maybe you are one of those people that was raised by a mom who didn't know Jesus. Okay, so let's undergird her with prayer. Um, maybe you were raised by a, woman, a godly woman who, knew, who, who raised you in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Undergird her with prayer too. Um, Lord knows godly mothers have prayed for us throughout our lives from the time they found out they were carrying us up until this moment right now or until the moment they ceased and they took their last breath if they're no longer here with you. If you think about it, some of you are only where you are now because of the prayers your mothers prayed. Then you couldn't pray for yourself. And for those moms that didn't know Christ, that never knew him, as long as you know Jesus now, you have a responsibility to lead a godly life before your mother. Love her and respect her beyond reason. If you don't feel like you're the one to witness to her, pray that the Lord will send laborers. So that someone to speak to her. But if you don't say a word about coming to the Lord, she doesn't need to question for a moment where you stand with Jesus. Okay? So as long as you know Jesus um, and you're, you should be loving her correctly, you should be respecting her. Um, the world teaches if you have an unfit or unloving or abusive parent to cut them off. But I'm here to remind you that the love of God is different and greater. Different and greater. Whatever she did or didn't do, whatever she still does or doesn't do, that's still your mother, worthy of honor and respect. Show her the love of God every chance you get. Her spiritual needs are not just tied up in your prayers and in your witnessing to her, but in your own Christian witness and conduct. Even when you want to tell her off or, God forbid, cuss her out, and if you do, you need to come up here and talk with me and PD afterward and be cussing your parents. If you're cussing at all, it's weird to cuss. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my, I talked to a friend yesterday, and she said, yeah, I, I got this T-shirt. I'm a Christian, but I still cuss. I said, oh, for real? She said, yeah, I only wear it sometimes. <laughs> Anyhow, um, even when you want to tell her off or even if you're mad with her, take a deep breath and love on your mother according to the spirit of Christ because the love of God will draw her. What will not draw her is compromise. So make a stand for what's right. Double-mindedness, that's not going to win her. Inconsistency, unrepentant behavior, works of the flesh. You can look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21 on your own time if you need an example of what the works of the flesh are. But live, a, it, it, so help a mother out spiritually by being the best follower of Christ you can be. And, and that, you know, that great um, commission that we all have to win each other to the Lord. Um, if your mom is not saved, win her. If she is saved, whether she's saved or not, pray for her and do your best to be a godly witness and a godly support to your mother as the Lord sees fit and allows you to. So the next way we can help a mother out is da -da -da, financially. Yeah, I'm going to talk about this. And I don't have any... Okay, oh yeah. I don't have any child old enough to um, support me financially yet, so this is just me, I'm, this is unbiased. Um, part of the honor, the return that Paul is referring to in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that we looked at earlier is financial. In the biblical model, the church took care of true widows. Those with no relatives or children to care for them were too old to remarry and have children. Other widows, as we saw in the passage above, were to be taken care of by their children, grandchildren, or other willing and able relatives. Y'all got that? Okay. So let's take a look at Matthew 15. Because I just want y'all to see it for yourselves. Matthew 15. Everybody there? 
All right, so let's look at verses 1 through 5. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Ooh, those Pharisees, I tell you. Verse 3, he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? I love Jesus. I really do. Verse 4, For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Oh, my goodness. But you say, if anyone tells his mother or his father what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. And then it goes on. So what Jesus is referring to here, have any of you ever heard of Corbin? Corbin? Let me raise your hands high if you have. Okay, Corbin. Because a Corbin is the gift of God. Now, this is not anything that is like scriptural. It was a tradition they had. They would give gifts to God or to the church, or they basically would take up an offering. It is a special offering, and it was devoted to the Lord. Well, they were telling people, take what you were supposed to honor your parents with and give it to the church. So it's something similar. I remember one time I knew of this pastor who said, <laughs> Not, this is not a pastor in Jersey, so don't be thinking I'm talking about anybody that y'all know. Um, <laughs> there, <laughs> there was a pastor. Let me, I need to take a, a sip of water on that. Pref I wish I had tea. Um, <laughs> um, this pastor said, if you're going to go in debt, go in debt for God. Don't use your credit cards or anything else, but pay your tithes and your offerings off this here credit card that you open. Yeah. That true story. Um, and it's not really similar, but it's the same idea. This is something that is supposed to be for this, but we but use it for this. It's okay because this is the house of the Lord. So, but that wasn't okay because the scripture to honor your mother and your father is also to give financially to your mother and father. Ooh, it's quiet. Um, anyhow. What Jesus is referring to is that gifts normally given to parents were at the time being given as an offering to the church in direct violation of scripture for the sake of upholding a tradition that seemed good. So now we know that the command to honor parents encompasses not just respect and esteem, but financial honor. You know that today. Mark this date. If you didn't know it before, now you do. So, of course, in this day and age, responsible folks should have retirement plans in place to kick in once they're no longer able to work. Your parents should be responsible and have their affairs in order. So, no, I am not implying that you have to take on the burden of taking care of your parents, especially if they have not made provision for their retirement years. I'm not saying that. Especially when, if you're a person with children, you have your own household to attend to and you got dependents you need to take care of. That's not what Courtney is saying. What I am saying is that as responsible, God-fearing adults, we should aspire to make it a part of our budgets to be a blessing to our parents. If you're not there today, that's fine. Work toward it. Because retirement doesn't cover everything. And the other side of it is, if you can't take care of your parents, at least stop making them take care of you. Ooh. <laughs> at least stop making them take care of you, totally in violation of the scriptures, totally. Because you need to take full responsibility for yourself anyway. I'm about to step on some toes and I don't mean to, but if you're an adult, your immediate goal should be working to take care of yourself. And then if you want to be in a relationship, especially men, if you want to take care of a family, then, you, then your next goal should be working enough to take care of a family. If you're not working, or trying to work, because you know, in this economy, just like we were praying this morning, everybody doesn't have jobs. And you know, it's just the way that it is. So, but if you're not working or trying to work or looking for work, and you live with your parents, um, and you don't pay anything to stay there, and I'm not saying, I'm, I, no, okay, I understand they might say, well, you don't have to give us anything. No, the right thing to do is to do the right thing, okay? Um, if you're working and living at home with a parent but not contributing a fair amount of what it costs to feed and clothe, well, maybe they're not feeding and clothing you, but for your room and board, I should say, you are in violation of scripture. 
okay? If you're not contributing, now it's one thing, now, now listen, it's, an arrangement is one thing. And if, if your parent has the means to do it and wants to be a blessing, that's one thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are taking out of their parents' mouths in retirement and being a burden. I'm not talking about if, you know, if mama is blessed, mama is blessed, and she's blessed to be a blessing. Let her bless you. I'm talking about if you are taking food out of your parents' mouths so that they can take care of you. Do y'all understand the difference of what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. All right. Anybody, anybody need more clarification? We on the same page. Okay. If you rely on your parents to pay bills for you because you can't manage your affairs, because you, because you won't manage your affairs, you're in violation of scripture. Now, I, I don't know everybody's circumstances, but I know this. You're accountable for what I'm saying. If you're not in a position to be a financial blessing to your parent, at least remove yourself from being a burden. Mama shouldn't be paying your phone bill or buying your car. No, because you need to learn to save up for your own car. You know, yeah, now if you got a job, now, I mean, things are different. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's the heart behind it. It's not like, I'm talking about people that are like 40 years old and living at home and working part-time and not trying to do anything for themselves. That is in violation of scripture. This should not be that way. I'm not talking about somebody who's staying at home and they're trying to help their parents out and they're being a burden, you know, they're blessing each other. That's different. I'm talking about where it is not reciprocal. It is you just taking and taking and taking and not giving anything. That is not right. Somebody had to say it. Okay, um, and you should be a blessing by doing things that will save her money. If you don't, if you can't do anything financially for your mother, save her some money. Um, help her with a repair project. Go rake the leaves. Do something that she would maybe pay somebody else to do it that she physically is unable to do for herself. Cook a little something extra and bring her some dinner and invite her over to eat. Only if you can cook, though, because that's not a blessing if you can't cook. Okay. <laughs> Now, if mama has surplus and wants to bless you, again, that's a whole other story. And she can be a blessing and don't stop her from being a blessing because God has blessed her and she's going to want to take care of you because you, uh, you know, you're her beloved. You're her beloved child that she bore. But I'm talking about the, the things that we were discussing earlier because I know way too many women in the prime of their golden years that should have an empty nest and they're struggling to make ends meet for a grown-behind entitled person who refuses to cut apron strings. So that's what I'm talking about. Learn to depend totally on God through Christ alone for salvation and also for your needs and not on your mama. He has given you the ability to work and obtain wealth. Do that for his glory, follow his commands, and watch him increase you more and more so you can be a blessing. Amen? Y'all not mad at me? Okay, all right. Okay. So help a mother out spiritually, financially, and help a mother out of respect for her contributions to your life. Amen. Go with me again to 1 Timothy 5. This unlikely, when I say unlikely, I mean it's, it may seem like this scripture is not related at all to what we're talking about. But there are a couple of key things in here that make it relevant. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. You need more time to get there? Is everybody there? Okay. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters in all purity. And it goes on. There will be times as an adult, you as an adult, that you will not see eye to eye with your mother. And that she will be downright wrong. She'll just be wrong. Do not disrespect your mother. You encourage her, just like the scripture says. Yes, you recognize, you know, Paul is talking to Timothy and, and he's talking to him in, in terms of the, of the way that he should deal with the people of all ages in his church. But this is still um, applicable to all of us. We should not be telling somebody who has been walking this earth twice the amount of time that we have where they can go, how they can get there, and why they should be going. That's just not, <laughs> amen, mother. That's just not the way it should be. Now, there's a way to say everything, though. There's a way to say everything because right is right. Right is right. But out of respect for who she is to you and an appreciation for all she has done for you, you will speak to your mother in a way that contends for truth but that is respectful. 
So you may say, Courtney, my mama crazy though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, my mama is mean. Okay, again. But you can remain respectful and still hold your ground as a believer. You, you can't get so mad at, at, any, at anybody, really, that you lose your Christian witness. Be angry and sin no. not, right? So encourage your mother to the right behavior. So how do you do that? How does, it, does anybody have a question about how that can be achieved? Or y'all kind of know what I'm getting at. There's a way to say it. Oh, you need to We'll do it during Q&A, brother. Okay. <laughs> so encourage her to the right behavior. And, we, and I think we do need to talk about that. But if you have a relationship with your mom where she asserts herself as an enemy to you, and some of us do have those relationships, treat her like an enemy then. But what does the Bible say about the way we should treat enemies? Love them. Pray for them. Bless them. That hot coals on the head thing. Y'all remember that? Okay. So... If you would treat your enemy that way, according to scripture, empowered by your faith in Christ to do so, how much better does the woman who gave you life deserve? So um, did you know this? I learned this recently, and I was like, whoa. And you guys may know this, having, um, you know, knowledge of, you know, physical fitness and anatomy and physiology and all that stuff. Um, did you know it takes five years for a woman's body, mind, hormones, and emotions to recover from carrying and delivering a baby? Five years. It takes five years for those organs to readjust to the way they're supposed to be. So I still got stuff out of place. I've only, only been a mom three years now. It takes, <laughs> it takes some time. It takes time for the, for the load of the, the hormones and all of that stuff to calm down. Oh, I hear snaps in the house. Oh, I got a witness. I got two, three, four, five, six. Okay, so five years of not being the way you're supposed to be. Five years of not being you, okay? So even if your mom is the most deadbeat parent on the planet, she carried you, bore you, and it took her body five years to heal because you were there. So in the case of in-laws, because of her, of your spouse, it took her five years at least to get herself back on track. So you owe your mother or mother-in-law, you owe them respect for that at least if nothing else. I hear people all the time, well, she didn't do nothing but give birth to me. She didn't take care of me. Do you know what she went through? Are you not here? Okay, so it just is what it is. It's not easy. It's not, I know that's right. I know that's right, Ian. It's, it's so, I know it's not easy. I, and I know, I mean, nobody's perfect, right? We all have our issues. But now that we're adults, we know that our parents were just young adults when they were raising us with issues. Don't take it personally. Thank God you don't have the same issues. Okay. So, and, and, and in spite of all, she knew you before you knew yourself. You know a lot, but you don't know everything. I'm here to let you know. Even if you've got 10 more degrees than your mother had, you still don't know what she knows. You got a lot of knowledge about things that she may not have knowledge about, but you don't know what she knows. You haven't walked this road, you haven't walked this earth the amount of time that she has. She could see you when you couldn't see yourself. She has a point, a vantage point that you'll never be able to have on who you were and who you are and how you got there. So be patient and reverent in your speech and conduct and look to Christ's example. One misconception at the first miracle is when um, Jesus, the young Jesus, strayed away from his parents. That he was no at the first miracle and at the time when before that, when he strayed away from his parents, is that he was disrespectful. Don't you know I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be in my father's house, a woman? Because I'm at. Let's go there. Let's go to um, Luke two. We were there earlier. Let's go back to Luke two. No, I don't. Well, Luke 2 is one part. Yeah. So um, verse 49. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That wasn't disrespectful. It was just, you know, it, he wasn't being disrespectful. And even if, first of all, he couldn't be disrespectful. Let's just go back. Because didn't we just look at the commandments and it said, honor your mother and father? Yeah. So Jesus, the perfect lamb, he can't sin. 
So he's not going to be disrespectful. So we can just, he wasn't trying to be smart. He was just saying, why were you looking for me? It was probably very earnest. Like, why were you looking for me? Don't you know X, Y, Z? It was kind of more like that than like, what are you looking for me for? It wasn't like that, okay? Um, and then also um, at the, the first miracle at the wedding at Cana. Let's see, Bible scholars. Who knows where that is? Because I don't have that in my notes. It's in John. We're looking for... The wedding at Cana is John chapter 2. All right, I'll start at the first verse while you guys are getting there. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Okay, so he was not being disrespectful. And that same word, woman, the way that he's addressing her there, that's the same way he addressed her when he was on the cross. So it was a term of endearment for him. Like, how many of you have nicknames for your parents? Yeah. So it was that kind of thing. Like, woman, you know, woman, what? What? <laughs> so it wasn't disrespectful. Um, and then, of course, it says in, um, in Luke 2 that he remained submissive to his parents. So it wasn't a matter of disrespect. Okay, so at the wedding, he was really asking her, what do you think I should do? What would you have me to do? Look at the Messiah, the anointed one, looking to his mother for advice. If the anointed one needs, a, uh, needs some confirmation from his mother, how much more do we? And then we want to be like, I'm grown now, I don't need my mama. Yeah, she may be imperfect, she may be flawed, but she got something for you. And if you don't get yourself together, you're going to miss it. So help a mother out of respect for her contributions to your life. Didn't that water turn into wine? All right, then. One point for Mother Mary in the name of Jesus, okay? So your mom deserves respect, but most importantly, God is worthy of this act of worship and obedience. Christ is enough, and he will strengthen you to be a blessing even when you feel incapable of being one. And our last point is help a mother out of your love and fear of God. And I think what we've just been talking about is a good segue into this point. Out of fear and love for God, respond appropriately to your mother. Everyone doesn't have a great relationship with his or her mom. It's just a fact of life. And nobody's relationship, even when it's great, is perfect. So instead of feeling entitled to repay evil for evil, remember that you are a child of the king and that you are redeemed from the old ways of thinking and dealing with conflict. Consider Joseph. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Joseph, we're going to go there in a minute. You can start thumbing the Genesis. Um, we'll start with 50. You're going to go to 50 and 45. But um, Joseph wasn't dealing with his mother, but he was dealing with brothers. So it was still a family matter. And you remember what they did, right? Joseph, he ended up in the pit because his brothers lied on him. Okay. They left him in a pit to die. But Joseph recognized the sovereignty of God in the hand that he had been dealt. Let's go, um, if you guys have Genesis ready for me, and it should be easy to get there because that's right at the beginning of the Bible, and then it's at the end of Genesis where we're going. 50, and we're going to verse 20 and 21. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, they were, they were in fear and trembling because they knew they had done him dirty. So we could go to 45, chapter 45. I want you to see this again, verse 7. And this is Joseph talking. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive, um, to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. So Joseph did not resist family members who did him wrong. God had been too good to him for him to hold on to the hurt and the betrayal. Um, and we can look at 1 John. I know I'm giving a lot of scriptures. I am my husband's wife. I'm sorry. Um, 1 John, if we go to 1 John chapter 3, just as a reminder to us, to us on why we should approach things differently 
Because, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is you, he would have been justified by world standards to, like, get back at his brothers. You know what? I got all this grain over here. You're not getting any. You can't have any because y'all left me to die. But he didn't do that. He shared with them because he recognized that God is greater. Um, so 1 John 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. How many times do you hear people say, you know, I love my mom, but she ain't getting nothing from me. Well, this has just been refuted because you don't, we don't just love with our words, but we love in truth and in deed. So if you know your mom is struggling, and I know, and I know, I know some of the, some, I know some things just because I know some of you, and I know that sometimes mothers have done things that are not right. But I'm here to tell you that God will strengthen us to do what is right, even in the face of what has been done wrong to us. Amen. We we are redeemed. We are born again. We have a new nature, and we have to resist the temptation to react the way that we are naturally in the flesh programmed to. Um, that is the love of God walked out in our lives. So give mom the benefit of the doubt. You're grown now, and I'm sure we're all learning that none of us is perfect. Life is hard. It's full of ups and downs. But thank God that despite all, mom has endured and has walked this earth, again, at least twice as long as most of us. <coughs> Excuse me. She is worthy of your love, your respect, and your admiration. Today on Mother's Day and on every day of the year, pray for her, honor her, bless her, respect her, and encourage her to good works. By doing so, you will please God, and that is what matters most. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for this day and this time. Thank you for the opportunity 